Welcome back to the Archie Sonic Digest, the only show where you can see the eventual emotional devolution of a man directly as a result of Sonic the Hedgehog comics. And what better way to lead us in with, well, before I, I was about to get a little ahead of myself, I was about to introduce our guest today, my good buddy Aaron, yet again, back with us for another episode. You love to see it. Hello, friends. It, it is I, uh, Aaron. Uh, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm I'm primed. I'm prepped. I'm ready to grapple with the monster in front of me. That uh that looming uh like manlet sized uh relatively overweight uh court loving bastard right in front of me. Ooh, ooh, and what, what an excellent <laughs> what an excellent transition to our first set of comics. Uh, of course, what you should know this by now. We've got a Knuckles comics. We've got a Knuckles trilogy, boys. Come on, let's give a round of applause. Like we should, you should expect this by now. Come on. So, uh, I would like to let everyone know. Uh, I was going to talk about this maybe a little bit later, but all I'm going to say is, the Knuckles comics after this trilogy were officially canceled, which means we have reached the divergence point, or rather the convergence point because now the sonic stories are forced to take on the brunt of knuckles which means you know you know you know you know but we'll talk more about it after we get into the comics yes so yeah <laughs> yes so let, let's just dive right into the get-go knuckles number 30 of course uh, written by Ken Penders. You're foolish if you think anyone else touched these comics. Art by Harvo. And, of course, the cover of this comic just... The, we just get introduced to a gorilla by the name of Monk. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Reject the... humanity. Return to, to Monk. Monk. Because <laughs> this is just clearly, like, the smartest thing I've ever read. You love it? I, I love it. I love it. Genuinely. And, of course... This is the first comic of the King of the Hill trilogy, as it's called, which this is a bit of an aside, but fun fact, uh, Ken Penders actually did storyboard two episodes of the TV show King of the Hill. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh I my don't, God. I don't remember what episodes, but yeah, he did storyboard two episodes. <laughs> no! I mean, look, for what it's worth... it. It was not like how TV shows or like cartoons are storyboarded now where it's like the store the script follows the storyboard then No, it was with, yeah. It was the other way around. Like really they just brought Ken Penders in to like draw the storyboards, give him a paycheck and go home. It's nothing special, honestly. Yeah. It's just Spe it's just a fun story that I felt like if I did not include, I would be disrespecting this man's legacy. It's true. You would be disrespecting the legacy of Penders and also to an extent, you would be uh, disrespecting the beauty of King of the Hill. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you think I know what a JPEG is? <laughs> I just speed. want a picture of a goddamn hot dog. <laughs> speed, speed, speed. You've seen the, uh, you've seen um, 
the YouTube poop Hank of the Hill, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas Salad. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We're just stalling now. Let's get into oh, it. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We open on a regular overlander who's just hunting a bird, shooting it down over the floating island. Normal stuff. And uh, then we see the floating island moving over a mountain and an ape lassoing himself onto the landmass, climbs his way up to the surface, and loudly proclaims, chest beaten, monk is back, and no freaking echidna will get the best of me this time. That means you, Knuckles, you hear me? Already being antagonized, and we haven't even seen (laughs) Knuckles yet. Ken Penders, come on, man. Give our man a break. No, there is no break for the guardian of uh, Angel Island. There will never be a break. There is only Ken Penders. (laughs) No, sir. And s- I, I, I need to point this out, too. So why does he have a ponytail? Don't worry about it. No, but, like, seriously. Like, was Ken Pender so fraught for, like, design concepts that he was just, like, monkey man with ponytail? I mean, like, he also named this monkey character Monk. Let's Let's reel it in a little bit here. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say here. It's like, well... I feel like this speaks for itself. Carrying on. So meanwhile, Knuckles is reading a book his dad gave him, which I I see it as like some kind of echidna version of 2001 A Space Odyssey. He says, man, hard to think that over a thousand years ago, echidnas were a spacefaring society looking to colonize the far-off planets of Saturn and Europa, but they have some weird names. Whoever heard of echidna named Dave? Which, you know, coming from an echidna named Knuckles, I can only say fair enough. Yeah, honestly, it's true. Imagine if like 2001: A Space Odyssey was just echidnas, and I feel like that's what that's what's that's what's being implied here. It's also implying some other things, which we'll get into later, much later. But don't worry about that for right now. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not important. Knuckles' is a bird friend, Cat Weasel, flies in, panicked, telling Knuckles that, "Bro, my sister Snow Pigeon, like, I, I, something happened to her, and some wacko is on the loose and used his weapon on her." So Knuckles, uh, dealing with the panic situation, glides over the monument and is basically pegged with a rock thrown underneath and he falls down, to which he then sees his assailant, Monk, as someone who he thought he'd never see him again. We then move to a flashback of Knuckles just playing as a kid, kids living his life, playing with a little (laughs) yo-yo. Monk takes it from him. Knuckles tries to fight him for it back, but loses. With Monk saying, boy, I'm king of the hill, or should I say the floating island? And he makes <laughs> eye contact with Knuckles. Monk flashes back to his childhood. The, he has the memory of, in the middle of the night, his <laughs> limbs were his r- limbs were bound, robed figures carried them over their shoulders, and threw him off the fucking edge of the floating island to his death. Okay. But, I, I, I need I need, Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I, he freed himself. He swam to shore swearing to get revenge. Man, listen, Knuckles' cabal of ancestors threw a teenage boy off the edge of the floating island. This is the best thing Ken Penders has ever written, and I mean that sincerely. Like this is this is peak Ken Penders <laughs> and I mean that in the most sincere, positive way possible. Bravo. I love this. It's, 
it's hysterical. Like, okay. Like, and if we're going to talk about this in the context of the comic, like, why is it that the fucking Brotherhood is literally the most insane group of people? Like, they're so cracked out of their minds, they'll do anything to make sure that their master plan goes very smoothly. Including throwing a teenage child on a floating island. Like, To his death that? in the to ocean. To his death! I don't know. Maybe just being so knocked up on uh, chaos energy did something to their brain. They're, how old are these people? Like, over Dude, 200 I, years old. I, like, I, their brains are <laughs> fucked. Their brains are <laughs> fucked. They don't know right from wrong anymore. They're, it's, it's, it's shit like this that, like, unironically makes me question the motivations of all these characters. Like... Like, we can be sit here and told that, like, yeah, these guys are the good guys, right? And then it's like, no, they're actually, like, the worst people imaginable. It, it feels like Ken Fenders is, like, trying to create some nuance with this group. It's, like, it's almost like the whole both sides argument of just, like, oh, you know, we may be bad people, but... or No, yeah, like, we may do bad things, but we have good intentions at the end of the day. And then you have the, the uh, Dark Legion who, like are objectively the bad guys in the story, but at the same time, they make, like, somewhat legitimate arguments. It's just sort of like, man, uh, too bad they're fascists. <laughs> that's, that's what it boils down to. I can't... I'm still, like, reeling from the last episode we did together where Ken Penders was just like, yeah, we'll just make an allegory to Nazi Germany. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's fine. Okay. fine. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so, back to reality. Variable term right now. <laughs> uh, Knuck uh, Monk charges at Knuckles. He dodges. And uh, Knuckles uh, punches him right in the nose, almost breaking it. Pissing him off even more. Tussle again. But Knuckles stops him, saying, like, hold on, wait. I hear footsteps here, man. And Monk is like, shut the fuck up, bro. Like, d don't stall here. And then they both see a shadowed figure walking towards them. And that's where that story ends and lead us into a secondary story. But first, uh, in those few pages, a lot happened. Like, emotionally, a lot happened here. I don't know, I feel like I just need to, like, breathe. Because <laughs> I already feel suffocated by this story. And we haven't even yeah, gotten I, in. I, 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 I mean, the comic is now split in half between two stories. So, I mean, knowing Penders, it's either all at the start or all at the end or all somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Like, it, there's no, there's no pacing here. Like, <sighs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really bad. To carry on, we have the secondary story written by Ken Penders, art by Doran. So we open on Julie Sue, who's on horseback. She runs into mighty Espion Ray, saying she's looking for Knuckles. Hasn't seen him in a while, but they haven't either. Ray is then introduced to Julie Sue as Mighty's friend. They rescued a while back, and they're moving him into Mighty's place. But Espio decides to part ways with them for now to go with Julie Sue to Echidnaopolis to look for Knuckles. And as they're riding, Espio yells at Julie Sue to get down, pushes the both of them off the horse. Julie Sue asking, like, bro, are you insane? What the fuck happened here? But he notices a disguised chameleon by the name of Barney. And he's hurt. He says to Espio, just get out of here. You've never seen anything like this before. All shiny and hard. And the dude passes out. He screams for a doctor, Espio does, and just pushes him on horseback to get him to Echidnaopolis with Julie Sue. He uh, shoots her away. And as they leave, he turns around and says, all right, guys, you can come out now. As more chameleons come out of camouflage, and they're like, 
Espio, what the fuck are you doing with an echidna? You have weird taste in friends, man. And Espio says, hey, listen, like, I didn't plan on this. What the hell is going on here? And talks to the pink chameleon girl, Lisa, and asks him, like, uh, okay, I'll lead you to what Barney's issue was. Quote, at least you saved us the effort of having to find you. And is shown Valdez, roboticized, saying, who else would I want to join me than my best friend, Espio? That's the end of that comic. Okay, so a couple things about this. I actually do like that we are spending, you know, some time with other characters. Mm -hmm. Even if it means we're cutting the Knuckles story in half. Why does Ken Penders have to draw every single anthropomorphic animal as, like, alluring as possible? Like, the design of this fucking female... Hey, that um, wasn't Ken Penders. The artist is Colleen Duran. This is her fault. Okay, why does Colleen Duran have to draw this character like that? I, I, I this is this is like something that's going to become more of a problem the deeper we get into this comic mm-hmm. it's like i and you look i'm not gonna sit here and pretend i'm like the bastion of like feminist policies i'm not i'm just a guy i i try to do what i can but i don't understand why these designs like they're just so overtly sexual sometimes, and I just feel so weirded out. Like, I'm just trying to read this stupid fucking comic, and I'm like, God, what the fuck is up with the body structure of this bitch? <laughs> I, I, look, it, it, we're nearing the end of the 1990s. We're, we're about to endure a furry revolution, as I would like to put it as. And I would like to directly think... That these comics have a responsibility in part of that. Oh, they 100% do. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, with the, sh- with the, sh- with the shit that goes on how in many, like, these comics. How many people had their furry awakening as a direct result of Sally Acorn? Be honest here, guys. So many. So many. Like, we're not even fucking shitposting here. No. Like, <laughs> it's, it's true. Like, the amount of people who had, like furry sexual awakenings from these fucking comics is like too many too many uh anyways we got off on a tangent here comics knuckles number 31 that's the next one ken penders did the writing and the art for this one so we can fully blame all we can fully put all the blame on him the guardians are in haven having lost their monitoring system Locke investigates to find there's no malfunction so he f- is forced to assume that there was an outside actor involved, as if it were Moratori or the Dark Legion, but they would have known by now if that was the case. And meanwhile, Monk and Knuckles are in the sight of the Overlander. Dude's got a rifle and all. The rifle's like as long as his torso, maybe a little bit more so. And uh, Monk does the smart thing and antagonizes him, and uh, is electrocuted and passed out. Knuckles tries to run away, but is stopped, saying that uh, the man, saying that he's, quote, studied you for a long time, Knuckles, and I know what you are. As the Overlander's manservant, who Knuckles thought was a roboticized Overlander, picks up Monk like a sack of potatoes. And in Haven, Archimedes pops up, telling Locke that Knuckles is nowhere to be found, and Locke saying that by all accounts, the system should be working here. They go back with knuckles unwillingly goes into the overlander with his ship and by the way we find out that the man's name is hunter 
Thank you, Ken Penders. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. As a side note, and I just want to bring this up, right? I actually don't think the concept here from, from like, the idea of the character and the, um, the, the character design is actually horrible. It, it's, there, there's, okay, if there's something that's really awful about Ken Penders, it's that all of his anthropomorphized animal designs, horrible, awful, horrendous. Of right? course. But his human designs, actually not that bad. I mean, they're competent. It's almost as if this man should not be making anthropomorphic characters and should be focusing on humans. What a shocker. It's, it's, it's funny, too, because, like, throughout the course of this comic, you know, they're, they're, I mean, we've talked about it before. The body proportion issues with the framing and the way that the, the panel composition just completely and totally makes some characters look comical, right? But in every instance with this Hunter character, there's never an issue. He's always on model always proportionally correct and he actually can look kind of cool sometimes why the fuck does ken have this obsession with drawing anthropomorphic characters when he actually draws human characters relatively fine uh i i think that's more of like that's the situation where he got himself stuck into like i think i've mentioned this before but like ken penders is like the kind of comic artist where he values creative driven work as like the first and foremost it's just that he's unfortunately stuck in a position where he has to create a comics about anthropomorphic characters so he's creating his own stories but unfortunately he has to use sonic the hedgehog characters as the driving force so hunter as a character design pretty good not bad the anthropomorphic mobians horrid makes me curse the ability to see i hate him <laughs> I mean, I I feel the exact same way. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's a it's it's a situation you described where it's like he's forced to make these characters, but you would assume that over time he would improve, but he doesn't, and that's the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let, let's let's talk about this character. As Knuckles is inside, he sees the stuffed heads of Mobians. Hunter asking, "Oh, Knuckles, are you admiring my collection, my good sir?" Nugget says, like, oh, no, this is sick. How could you kill another living creature? Which, fair question, but, like, d dude, like, mounted and stuffed heads of, like, Mobians. Like, these these are, like, uh, sentient creatures, man, that have, like, the ability to think and talk. Like, wh where was the line here? Does he not have a line? Because, like, that's, like, tantamount to hunting humans at that point. <laughs> which is, <sighs> which is a, an interesting uh, observation, but we'll move on. Hunter says, oh, listen, I'm no poor sport, as he tries to shoot Knuckles in the back, but he d missed deliberately, telling Knuckles, I prefer someone who can fight back, and offers a game of strategy, not of strength. And Knuckles asks, like, well, what incentive do I have to cooperate? I don't, f I don't like Monk. I, ha he's I'll fu I, I don't fuck care. Monk. He, like, I don't he, care he about him. <laughs> and Hunter says, well, I thought you'd say that, and convinces him by showing him a picture of Julie Sue. No more words, Knuckles understands. And in the field, Locke finds a device that uh, tampered with their monitors, and Archimedes finds footprints walking away. And back inside, Hunter gives Knuckles and Monk collars and just sets them loose. Monk tries to separate from Knuckles, but the collar shocks him, telling Knuckles that whatever he wants, it's a task not to be done separately. And as they go away, Hunter then dons gear with his rifle, Leaves the ship saying, let the hunt commence. 
So if you haven't picked up by now, yes, this is like a quasi parody of the most dangerous game. Like, but I feel like that kind of mitigates it, considering that these are anthropomorphic animals, which I feel like contradicts the argument I just made with the stuffed mobians. But whatever. I mean, but but here's here's the thing, right? Even if it is just a parody of the most dangerous game, it's still a fine setup. Yeah, I'll give it. Yeah. I look. Yeah. I, I, okay, I I don't think it. Okay, because for once we're removed from all the bullshit, right? Like we're we're actively away from it. It exists, still there, lurking yeah. around. You know, skittling on the floor. But like, yeah. it's, it's it's fine. I don't think it's horrible. No, it, it really isn't. Like it's a decent setup. The story is not that bad so far, at least. Like, yeah, so far. I mean, I, I have some, I have some thoughts on 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 the next issue, which, light spoiler. I actually thought the overall story was kind of good, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to. That. So, second scary story: Penders and Doran. Espio Ash Valdez, dude, bro, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you roboticized, man? And says that Valdez says. He was left behind on the mission to evacuate citizens from Mobotropolis from Robo-Robotnik's initial attack. He was captured, roboticized, and specifically programmed to find the Chaos Emerald on the floating island. Lisa's then brought in, intending for her to be roboticized, and she figured that, like, uh, she's in tears right now, saying, Oh man, Espio, I, I thought because you were Valdez's best friend, I thought you could get through to him, I'm, I'm so sorry, I sh she's, she's like a blubbering mess right now. And Espio rushes in to get her. But, uh, is punched out by Valdez, and she's put into the chamber, slowly roboticized, and Valdez saying to Espio, Tell me the secrets of the echidnas, and I'll spare the rest of the chameleons. If not, I'll roboticize them, and every other chameleon I can find. That's the end of story B. That's the end of Knuckles 31. And if it sounds like I'm rushing this, like, I, I, I kind of am, but... There's really not a lot to talk about. Like... We could talk about the SBO story, but like, it's just kind of like, okay, it's just SBO. It's like SBO going on like shenanigans and his own little mini adventure, which, again, is fine. Yeah, but there's nothing to, something to talk about. Like, it's just like setting up. It's not even setting up anything. It's just sort of like a, almost like a page filler. Pretty much. Which is whatever. Like, I I don't have a problem with it. Like, this was like 1999. This comic was released in like Sonic Adventure just came out obviously so the character lineup is not very uh diverse as far as the sonic game characters go so he's doing the best he can like it's not great but it's not horrible it is what it is you know yeah 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 so on that note knuckles number 32 again art and writing uh done by ken penders and uh we have we have made it this is the final knuckles comic yeah, it is. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of sad to see it go. It gave me a lot of good content, a lot of good laughs. The content, the content. Listen, and all I'm going to say is I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something that's a little controversial, okay? I would have rather this comic continued until issue 50. Why? So that all of the stuff involving Knuckles stays out of the Sonic comic. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but uh, let's... Uh, Let's just go with what we're presented with right now. Yes. So Knuckles tells Monk about Echidnaopolis, who he does not believe that there's a hidden city, but Knuckles leads him into a sewer system to hide from Hunter. They go deeper in, and Knuckles sees the place in its totality, Hydro City, 
or hydrosity if you're correct. Hey, 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 It's hydrocity. Okay, all right. We're going to do this right here. We're doing this right fucking now. Listen, listen. No, I'm not fucking taking this. If they wanted to be hydrocity, they would have put a space in it. Both in Sonic. No, no, no. Both in Sonic 3 (laughs) and in Sonic Mania, they would have fucking done that. It is hydrocity. I will not budge. Hydro City. It's a water city. I- Hydro City. Hydrocity. Why does Hydrocity make sense? It doesn't. Fuck you. No, Hydrocity, it's a pun on velocity. Come on, man. I can't I can't do this. I I I, I can't do this right now. I'm I'm I, I just just no. 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 Nah. And we'll be right back with the Archie Sonic Digest. <laughs> <laughs> I, as a side note, um, I know that the zones sometimes are often not used in the comics. Occasionally they are. I mean, that's just because, like, Ken Penders has no, like, game relation to these characters. Like, he de- he ha- he's never played the games, and he admits that fully, and he's proud of that fact, so. I don't know why you would be proud of it, but okay. But I, I, I legitimately do enjoy stuff like this, where there are references and uh, callbacks and... You know, even if it's not like um like a one to one recreation of uh Hydra City, uh <laughs> it's it's cool that it's like here, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. And, and 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 there is like the cute attention to detail where it's like Knuckles uses like a hidden passage in Angel Island to essentially work his way down to Hydro City. So you know, there's the zone continuity thing from Sonic Three and Knuckles coming in, and mm-hmm. I, I I do like it. I do like it. I do like it. I will say. Yeah, I mean, it's a good blend of. Uh game continuity with the comics because you know sometimes you forget like yes this is a sonic the hedgehog comic sometimes we get a little we get a little lost in the sauce and we forget our origins but here we are still we got lost in the sauce we are now back in the sauce (laughs) i feel good about this (laughs) so uh hunter is still tracking them down notices their tracks stop and pull open the trap door that leads into the sewer Inside Hunter's pod, Locke and Archimedes have broken in, but noted it's a little weird that there was no security apparatus. Until the console activates a self-destruct sequence, Locke tries to disarm it, but uh, there, there's not enough time, so they, they just run and barely make it. <laughs> this, just ha- this just happens, by the way. There's not, like, there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing about this. There's nothing that, you know... It is significant. Like, this is just something that happens and we see it. Next, moving on. <laughs> so Hunter detected a heat signature and shoots nearby, leaving Knuckles and Monk to abandon their light source and head to the surface. They try to set up a trap, but they end up going too far from each other and set up their shot collars. Monk ambushes Hunter after firing at Knuckles. Man's pinned to the ground, Monk demanding that the shot collars be taken off. And Hunter's confused, thinking that the pain of the shot collar should be enough to immobilize them, but uh, is still able to shoot Monk through it. And I mean through it, like blast through yeah, his stomach. Yeah, like, like, yeah, it's the way that it's framed is pretty weird, though. It's like it kind of it looks like Monk is like on top of him and like has him in a pinhold, right? Mm, yeah. But like it, it almost seems like he isn't able to shoot the gun, but like he's able to so you know yeah that sounds right but whatever he shot it knuckles sees monk fall now pissed at hunter who notices that oh his rifle is now beginning to vibrate 
Knuckles, managing to snap his collar off, is now acting in such an irrational state, his dormant chaos powers activate and tear Hunter apart molecule by molecule, but is able to, like, reconstruct him, so he's just knocked out. He's not dead-dead, but he's just, like, sleepy. Knuckles goes Super Saiyan 3. He's Super Saiyan 5 right now, man. Oh, yeah, that's right. With with how Ken Pender's power scales things, then yeah, yeah he's like Super Saiyan 5, you're right. But, yeah, yeah I mean, it's a cop-out. It, it, it is a little bit of a deus ex machina, but, like, who am I to judge? They had to do something, and uh, Ken Pender's the king of the cop-out. What, what should I expect? Yeah. Now Archimedes and Locke pop in. They see the passed out hunter thinking, oh, Knuckles must be nearby. They find Knuckles with Monk and later move Hunter into Haven, a prison pod deep within the building. Knuckles saying as long as he can eat and breathe in there, he can rot in there for the rest of his life in the name of his victims. That's the end of that one. So I, it's never fully explained in these comics if Monk survives. I actually don't know if he does or not. I, my assumption is that he doesn't. I mean, but, I, no, no. Uh, I mean, I guess that's like Ken Pender's uh, classic oversight of like, oh, that, that, I don't care. This isn't about Knuckles. <laughs> this isn't about the focal character. So like, this can be left hanging. I don't care. Yes, exactly. And uh, we'll finish this off on Espio uh, Story B. Of course, Pender's writing, Duran doing the art. Pick it right from where we left off. Espio says. Okay, fine, I'll tell you, but every let everyone go first. Valdez says, buddy, you're in no position to bargain. You're going to take us to Knuckles and the Chaos Emeralds right now. So Espio's walking with Valdez and Riza and a shadow bot. Valdez saying, all right, no tricks here, buddy. You're not pulling anything over me. And Espio's like still trying to pull his sense of self out of them, specifically if he remembers the path he took to see Knuckles with him. Valdez says, I don't recall. Shut up and take me to the Chaos Emerald. As Espio takes him to a ruined settlement, saying the emerald is in the sewer system here, Espio goes a little deeper in, Valdez following him a couple footsteps behind, and falls down a trap door. Disoriented, Espio pushes him into the nearby river. Valdez, gripping him by his shoulder or arm or whatever, says, If I go down, I'm taking you down with me, Espio. Well then, at least everyone gets a chance, Espio replies. Riza doesn't detect any signatures underwater. But in the compound, we move back to that. Espio breaks out the other chameleons and asks, Hey, what happened to Valdez? Espio says, don't worry about that. But for now, this was a warning shot to whoever wanted to bring the floating island into their mess. And the compound detonates with Espio walking away coolly. Cool guys, don't, don't look, look at explosions. explosions. Yeah, you know. oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, not. Okay. It's I, not. I, the, the, the bit is done. It just not, exists. It's not 2006 anymore. We gotta move on. Yeah, it's and true. as we mentioned previously, this is the final issue of Knuckles the Echidna. Future me editing this. Put in some sad violin music. You know the one. Pepe says, "Sedge crying." <sighs> I, I, I mean. Yeah. Um. So, the fact that Penders ends his entire series on a, a literal explosion where Espio kills two people is like kind of boss, kind of based, kind of based, kind of based, kind of based. But it's like perfectly in line with like his writing style. So you know. Just... Yeah. I mean, you know what? Like classic Penders. 
doing things that you would not expect a Sonic character to do, but somehow got approved anyway. Because Sega literally did not care. That's not an exaggeration. They literally did not care. Yep. All right. So now that Ken Penders is done, as I spoke about at the beginning of this episode, the convergence has happened. Um, this essentially means that from now on, the Ken Penders material is now stuffed into the Sonic comic. So we were talking about this in the two episodes that we did, where like, in my opinion, the Sonic comic was of like an okay quality, right? Mm-hmm. It's like fine. It's, it's not amazing, not horrible, but it's, it's fine. okay. It's good. That's yeah, fine. For what it is. It is at this point where things start to take a turn for the worse, a significant turn of the worse. Ken Penders doesn't leave until... 159. 159. We've got... We've got a very significant amount of... Like, what's this next issue? Hold on. Wait. The next... Okay. The next actual Sonic comic is number 79. So that's like, what? A good 80-ish episodes? A good 80-ish issues? So you have 80 issues of Ken Penders. Look at me, right on the money. We did it, boys. Let's go. And it's really only until, like, 165, 170, where it feels like the story is actually recollecting itself again. And, again, we're going to get into that. I burn. Nay, I yearn for that day. However, in order to get to the gold, we must dredge. We must dredge. And, like I mentioned a long time ago... You, you know how I said I, that last time I mentioned this, we were like chest deep into Ken Penders. The water's over our head now. We're yeah, submerged. Yeah, it's, we're, we're sunken. And now we're just on a straight dive down to the bottom of the ocean. And believe me, by the time we hit like rock bottom, one, no, by the time we hit like 120, 130. Oh my God. You, you think that the comic, you think that some of the shit you see now is bad? I hope you're ready to follow 50 plot lines at once, <laughs> most of them not making sense in the slightest, and all of it with just the worst exposition writing you've ever seen. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. And as you were mentioning, yeah, I, I agree with your sentiment of, like, this really should have just lasted way longer than it did. Honestly, I was looking up before we were about to record why this comic got canceled. I could not find any information whatsoever. No news articles, nothing from, like, Archie's archive, nothing. I have no clue why this comic got canceled. The assumption you would make, right, is that there it was poor sales, right? The Sonic comic was probably selling pretty well, but the Knuckles comic probably wasn't. The Knuckles miniseries was successful because they did, um... Because I know that part of the reason that the Knuckles comic even took off was because the, the Knuckles miniseries that was done, um, I believe, by Penders or was essentially like, it was really, really well, it would sold really well. Knuckles was a very popular character at the time. So they decided to do the Knuckles comic in its entirety and it let Penders. Even Penders. so much so that like in the second miniseries, they just retroactively made that the first three issues of the main Knuckles comic, which I gotta say, like, that's a boss move. I don't know how Ken Penders convinced Archie to let him do that, but I, I, I can't say nothing bad about that. That's just, that's just a good move. Good move. I mean, again, by this time, the the comic had probably been running for. This is 1999, so and it issued. So like this is hold on, wait. It started in like 1992, so seven years, I think. Yeah, seven years of the Sonic comic. I don't know when the Knuckles the Echidna comic started, but you would assume that 
they either came out monthly or bi-monthly. Monthly, more or less. Monthly. So then the comic was running for essentially... Three years, more or less. Like two and a half to two and three-fourths years, right? Yeah, so, let's go with that. Yeah, so somewhere around there. But like one thing that you're going to notice, like I know we've talked about it, right? The art. Obviously, the art is, was, was a huge problem with the Knuckles comics, mm-hmm. right? Especially in some some particular issues. Uh, that Ooh. fucking that fucking one issue where I, I can't even talk about it. I'm going to get fucking mad. But that's why I have the power of editing. Why does Knuckles look like he's like from like a porno with his proportions? Right? I, yeah, his muscles are like his head. It, the head is like too small for the body, even though that like I guess it is anatomically correct technically, but it's like too correct, you know. Julie Sue also has prominent ass cheeks and breasts, and it's the weirdest. <laughs> I'm gonna vomit. I don't. I can't. I can't look at that anymore. Mighty looks like he's fucking dropping LSD, like you mentioned. Like I said, eleven <laughs> sun drop dandelion. He's gone. He is he's gone. gone, bro. It's the muscles. <laughs> it's the muscle definition. It looks too. Uncanny Valley, that's it. And then, like, the crown centerpiece is Locke, just in the back. Just like, bruh. He's just like, bruh. Bruh. (laughs) Bruh. Oh my fucking god. What happened? What happened here? But, but, if there's something that, like, that, that becomes really apparent now, the art in the main comics, oh my god. Look, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that the last couple issues haven't been fantastic, uh, the issues uh, before that uh, I was not on the episode for some of the faces and draw and 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 character models looked horrendous, and it's just it's it's going to be a trend continuing forward. You're going to hear me talk about the art a lot now because, dude, it's bad. It, it's, it's really bad. It kind of sucks because, like, to me, the art is just so bad which i feel bad saying but like objectively it just does not look appetizing at all that's a disgusting way to phrase it but nevertheless it's not like i just block it out of my mind because it's sort of like well my focus is more the story because the story is just insane but unfortunately the art is just so unpalpable i just don't i block it out of my memory it's like this is not the focus for me i don't need to put my energy into that (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm too much of a stickler and I can't block both out of my mind, so I'll bitch and moan about both at the same time. Which is perfect. All right. Sonic Super Special 12? Turnabout Heroes. And we mentioned in the pre-show that uh, this comic is more of like a mental break. A little transition from the Knuckles comics to the Sonic comics we're going to lead into. So let's not waste any time. First story, Turnabout Heroes with... uh, both Ken Penders and Carl Bowler's writing, you don't ever see them collaborate much often, so this is going to be interesting. And Fry and Peppy doing the uh, the art. So, we open, uh, we the very first page is Zonic saying, hey, by the way, orient the comic sideways, because that's how this story is printed. Very bold move, I guess? I don't... Maybe it was something experimental at the time they yeah, were just trying. Being, just being artsy, you know? It's like, okay, all right. I've I've seen worse from this comic. Like, let's just fucking get into it. We hear a voice. They're regaining consciousness with Dr. Quack and Sally and King Max saying, Do you know who you are and who we are? Sonic says, yeah. I recount his story. 
fighting Robotnik and the Freedom Fighters. It's all good. To which Quack pulls in a mirror, leaving Sonic to see Knuckles' face. To which, buddy, you're not the only one with questions right now. Then the inverse happens with Knuckles. Waking up on Haven, surrounded by Locke, Julie, Sue, and Saber, he recounts his story of being the Guardian, and pulls in a mirror to see Sonic's face. So we got the classic body swap episode. Not a horrible setup. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's always, it's always kind of cool to have these, these body swap movements, especially in, in this kind of media where it's like, oh... Okay. Well, I can deal with it. All right. Fun little twist. And a, I mean, we got a twist enough with saying like, yo, turn this comic sideways. Like, okay. All right. I see what you're doing. Body swap uh, Sonic and Knuckles. All right. Okay. Just add it to the flavor. Just flavor on the on the pasta right now. We see uh, two figures uh, scheming, talking about, you know, we could have both slain our foes, but no, it would not have been good enough. And these two... Dr. Robotnik and Dimitri had intended to erase the minds of both Sonic and Knuckles, but ended up switching their memories instead. Sonic, in the body of Knuckles, is being taken to the with, by the Freedom Fighters in the Freedom Fighters special, their plane, and is attacked by Shadowbots on their way to Kidnopolis. Knuckles, in Sonic's body, is going to Mobotropolis with Julie Sue to find the Freedom Fighters, but they crash land of Echidnaopolis and are being attacked by the Dark Legion at the same time. Knuckles tries to glide up there, but uh, he can't. So he face plants. It's the muscle memory, man. That's how it gets you. Nah, it's it's totally the muscle memory. You can't blame him. The Freedom Fighter special is downed over Echidnaopolis. Knuckles can't fight, but uh, swoops up Julie Sue and runs to the crash site, who has arguably pretty good control over Sonic's speed. It's impressive. Yeah, you you'd think there'd be a little bit more awkwardness in there in trying to adjust to each other's combat style, but we're getting to that. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sonic wanders out, and the Freedom Fighters are surrounded by the Dark Legionnaires and Shadowbots, and they all fight. And Sonic and Knuckles are adapting to each other's abilities, which, again, like I literally just mentioned, you'd think they'd have a little bit more trouble. Maybe maybe have like a little bit more like comedic elements to it, but. I guess Ken Pender said, no, you will dare not touch my knuckles. You will not make him look like a fool uh, a, a fool in any way, shape, or form. No, ever, sir. And at that moment, hollow projections of Robotnik and Dimitri are over the sky, demanding a surrender. They say, Sonic and Knuckles, both of you need to surrender. If you don't, then endure each other's horrid existence, and also we'll raise the, uh, the Angel Island and the Freedom Fighters and all that. They surrender... Warp to Robotnik and Dimitri's location, and they show off their device, the Chaos Cannon. It can roboticize anything it shoots, and requires the Master Emerald to power it. Is this just the Eclipse Cannon before the Eclipse Cannon? Damn, Ken Pendry should sue. <laughs> no, 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 you can't give him the fuel! No, no! Oh. Speed, no, what have you done? Oh no, uh-oh. Oh, God, no! <laughs> I can already hear the lawsuit! <laughs> oh, fucking oh hell. Uh, where was I? <laughs> okay, so power the Master Emerald, give it to us, and we'll switch your brains back. They're warped into the chamber, saying, well, we can't just remove the Master Emerald, it's gonna make the Flown Island fall down, so... Sonic, what's your plan here, buddy? Elsewhere, Robotnik and Dimitri are spying on Sonic and Knuckles... But as they touch the Master Emerald, they stop getting the video feed. But they do bring back the Master Emerald, sans a certain something, and you will, uh, 
if you remember from a previous story, the Master Emerald is the Master Emerald because uh, Mammoth Mogul was trapped into it. And uh, we see that the Master Emerald no longer has this figure lodged inside its crystallized prison. Little, little interesting there. Yeah, little, that's, little food that's, for thought. That's, that's huge. That's huge, huge, huge foreshadowing. As Dimitri fires it after it's loaded into the chamber, the console overloads, Robotnik realizes they were duped, and says SWAT bots on Sonic and Knuckles. And they reveal... Nah. Touching the Master Emerald switched our minds back. And they fight off the SWAT bots, leaving Knuckles to charge Dimitri, destroying his robot body. And I mean, like, destroy... The man's just a head now. It's kind of dope. He's just, uh... He's just a head. Okay, so this is... Is this the last time we see Dimitri for no. the foreseeable future? No. No. We'll see him again. So he warps away. Sonic charges in at Robotnik... And presses a remote, blowing himself up, revealing himself as a robot double. Which, by the way, this takes place, like, uh, before they found out about Robo Robotnik, so... Very, very weird. Um, if I can say something very nice about this comic, the art is actually pretty good. It's pretty consistent. It's, it's not horrible to look at. For once. For once, yeah. Well... We'll take our W's where we can take them. And yes... We, we we have to take the W. And that's the end of that story. They leave after the fight. They're just bickering over each other or who has the better life. You know how it is. Boys will be boys. And so we'll move on to the second story. Uh, Zone Wars Giant Robotno. And the previous Zone War... I mentioned this on the previous episode uh, where we talked about this. The plot was written by Dan Slott. Does, does this name ring a bell for you, Aaron? No. No! Mm-hmm. Fuck Dan Slot. Fuck fuck Dan Slot. W- what's your lore? Just don't like the guy. I think he's a prick. Ooh, ooh, that Sag, big Sag cuz I I just said No, listen. L- listen no, 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 I just want to say this. I just want to say this, okay? I just only like I just find it amusing that he's here mainly because of the fact that he would later go on to write Spider-Verse. That's it. No, I know. I know. And that's that's the irony, right? Yeah. Like I think Dan Slott does a good job on Spider-Man from what I've read of him, but fuck Dan Slott. He's a fucking asshole. I fucking hate Dan Slott. Oh, right? Boy. I, can ad- I can admire the writing, but I think he's a fucking asshole. Fuck Dan Slott. <laughs> oh, boy. You're going to get me in some trouble here, man. Oh, damn, dude. I can't believe Dan Slott is going to ban our podcast. Oh, no. Ah. Yeah, uh, not if Ken just... Penders does it first. <laughs> <laughs> it's a race. It's a race to the bottom at this point. It's a race to the bottom. Who can sue fastest? <laughs> All right. So anyway, yes, I said the general plot was by Dan Slott, but Carl Bowlers was the one who actually wrote the script. Nelson and Ribeiro did the art. So, and by the way, the comic is now oriented in its proper fashion. Right now, that's behind us now. Uh, Sonic is out fishing, living his life, you love to see it, but it's interrupted by a ship just popping in and crashing into the lake. It's Pilot saying that they're an alternate version of Sally, and says, Sonic, you're the only one I can rely on right now. And Sonic is like, okay. Alright. But but Sonic steps in, saying, now hold on now, buddy, I wouldn't. She's an evil version of Sally from the Sentai Zone. To which... Sally bombards them, leaving Zonic to call in others from her zone, the Sonica Man Chaos Ninja Team. I don't. I. 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 I Listen, uh, I'm just gonna. Okay. Speed. 
if we could talk about one thing, right? And, and we'll, we'll talk about this together. Sonic is just fucking over it at yeah, this he point. Really, I'm over literally it. next next page. The, next page. The right? next page. He's just like, dude, are what? we really doing this shit again? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's literally just like... And that's not an exaggeration either. Like, the the fucking Sonica men just fight Prince, uh, fight this evil Sally. Sonic just legit walks away. He's not even like, nah, like, I'n not running away. He's just like jaunting away. And Sonic Zon- is like, hey, bro, like, what's up, man? And Sonica says, listen, man, you're doing all this parallel universe bullshit. This this is starting to get to me. I'm getting fucking annoyed. Why do I'm you keep doing, Why do you keep doing this to me? <laughs> Zonic, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and then he goes down the list, you know, the giant Borg situation, Sally Moon. I don't fucking care about these parallel universes, man. You, I, I have fucking enough to deal with with my own Sally. Now you want me to get involved with all these other parallel universes? No, fuck off! <laughs> Just leave me alone! I'm dealing with enough shit as it is! Fuck you! <laughs> and Zonic says, is like, listen, you know why I do this? You're Sonic Prime. You're the core of all the multiverses here. And uh, right then and there, he gets a call from another zone is having a major issue. Scale 11 out of 10 here. But says, well, if you don't care, I'll go by myself. And Sonic then does, in fact, offer to handle it. Warps in and sees a kaijified bunny running rampage over an overlander city. So what's really funny is that around this time, I'm pretty sure the 1999 Godzilla reboot came. Probably. So it was in line with the time. It made sense to do. Yeah. And honestly, it's not that bad. It, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a Godzilla rip. So it, Kaiju's always fun. Yeah, Kaiju's is fun. Like, you know, it's good, dumb fun. And that's what this is. Sonic is in fact shocked to see Bunny doing this. But Sonic says, hey, listen. Good and evil are relative concepts on other zones, which, not out of nowhere, if you can recall way back uh, when we were first introduced to Anti-Sonic, of course, the way it was, like, framed was that, like, Mobius Prime was in, like, this space, and Anti-Mobius was on this space, and there's parallel universes in between, and there's a core in the middle, which they actually did go to before called the Neutral Zone, so... I'm guessing that this zone that Sonic is in right now is just on, like, the anti-Mobius half. Which, at the, you know, look, like, if there is one thing that's kind of cool about some of the stuff that Penders does. Like, I do like how there is an attempted explanation for specific things. Like, Well, oh, I mean, to be fair, are... this isn't Penders. This is actually Cara Bowlers right now. But generally speaking, yeah, he does bring up a lot of stuff that, like you really wouldn't think would ever come back. Or it's just you get explanations for stuff that you never think you would. Listen, it's it's like One Piece or JoJo, except really, really, really bad. <laughs> okay. Ken Penders, Ken Penders, and and uh, and Araki and uh, Oda uh, all sit down at a table and they attempt to talk about their ideas. By the end of it, Ken Penders lies dead as uh, Araki and Oda walk out. Sonic goes in regardless and causes enough friction on the pavement for it to turn to tar, trapping Bunny in her path. And the Overlanders praise Sonic for stopping her, and a version of Robotnik coming in as well. Sonic, a, li- a little hesitant, introduces himself as, I am Dr. J. Kintobor, the ruler of Kintopolis, the city you just saved, my friend. And in the past, I was able to stop these rampaging colossi by infecting them with a robovirus, as seen by a halted kaiju Uncle Chuck, 
But they've since built up an immunity to it, and they can only do so much. So Sonic asks Kintober, so how'd this happen, buddy? To which Kintober says, well, look, I'll, I'll admit here, this is my fault that this happened. In the past, I was studying the Chaos Emerald, and I wanted to harness its raw power, specifically by splitting it into fragments. The first test was on Knothole Island, far away from the city, and the fallout from the explosion caused the local populace to mutate into kaiju forms. So Sonic, a nice guy, offers to go get them for him with this plan. Use himself as both the power source and the pilot for the giant Robotno. Because the original intention was to use the uh, Emerald Shards to power these mechs to fight the Kaijus. Which, again, standard stuff, but need I remind you, it's Kaiju stuff. Good, clean, fun. Pacific Rim? Who doesn't love Pacific Rim? Come on, boys. Yeah, I mean, it's basically Pacific Rim. Which came out in I, 2012. I, Ken Pender should sue. This isn't even <laughs> Ken Penders. What the fuck is wrong with me? Ken Penders, attorney at law. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with me? So, um, I, I, I want to comment on something uh, that, that we kind of a little bit skipped over. But the kaiju versions of a lot of the, the, the mainline Sonic characters... I actually really like them. Yeah. Some of the, they're, they're just monstrified versions of the characters, but um, I actually really like Vectors. Vectors, for some reason, is legitimately imposing. I mean, like, if you saw a 60-foot crocodile, I'd shit in my pants. Granted, we live in Florida, so that would not be a surprising thing to see. No, it really wouldn't. He'd just, you know, roll up out of the swamp and be like, sup? It's like, hey, bro, what's good? All you gotta do is be on his good side. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh... As they're souping it up, Kentobor asks Sonic, uh, you don't like me very much, do you? And Sonic says, look, in my reality, you're the worst person I've ever met. You roboticized my family, my friends, and you enslaved the entire planet. It took me 10 years to finally free my society from you. And Kentobor says, like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Sonic says, don't be. He isn't. And he just takes off in the mech. Which, you know what? Like, I'm not gonna lie. That's some weird, like, emotional investment I didn't know I had. This is something that, again, is touched upon occasionally, but never really talked about, like, a lot. The idea that Robotnik at one point was just kind of like a doctor who was just trying to do his thing. But ultimately, because of a freak accident, it produced Sonic and Robotnik. And the idea that, like... The alternate reality versions of a lot of these characters are just flipped versions. So Robotnik's the good guy. Sonic's the bad guy. It's kind of interesting. And I'm also, I, I do like the fact that like Sonic is just like inherently antagonistic and is just honest with, with, with the, the good version of Robotnik. Like, dude, like, look, even if I wanted to try and like you, I couldn't. Which is actually really interesting because way later on, like, way later on, like, this is when Ian Flynn takes over. There is some interaction between, like, the anti-Mobius Robotnik and Sonic. But even then, he's, like, cordial with him. I do kind of wish that there was, like, that in, like, in that scene, it's like, look, listen, like, oh, we got to ask, like, uh this version, like, Dr. Kentobor for help. But he's still, like, low-key antagonistic towards him. Not because he thinks he's a bad person or the sort. But it's just, it's just because of how long... Sonic has fought Robotnik and had to deal with him and all of the pain that he's caused him that it's like no matter what he does like in his mind it's like this is still Robotnik 
yeah like, i can't which, get that out which like from a writing perspective that's brilliant it shows like a good aspect of his personality it's it's one of those things that like obviously in the hands of a more competent writer like ian flynn it can be handled well right it's just you know <laughs> and i know i'm going off on a tangent but this is actually why i like the anti-characters despite the fact under like ken penders they're not really written to their fullest extent it's more of like, I think the idea and the potential for it is so strong, I'm willing to overlook the faults, you know? We will talk about him. You know who I'm referring to, right? The most prominent anti-character uh, later on when we get to him. But I actually have an incredibly soft spot for that character. Me too. Because I, because I think that it is the perfect realization of aspects of this comic. Which and it gives it gives Sonic a very different like perspective. You look you have to look at Sonic in a very different way when you're considering this character taken into the equation. And that's and that's why again, it's something we're gonna talk about way, way, way more when the thing happens that makes you know, some stuff go down. But mm-hmm. And I can't wait for that's gen when it's that around the time, that's genuinely my favorite no, no, arc. Th- that I, is that is that is when the story goes it flip-flops, right? Around that time was when Penders was leaving. Mm-hmm. So that's when the story actually does the return to being good, which is ironic, you know. We'll get to that when we get to that, but I yearn for it because this is just I really do like the anti-characters. I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but I just, I wish that we could have still had them in the IDW comics. That's it. It, it really, I mean, look, not everything about the Kenders canon is perfect. No. I mean, we, no. we the two of us both completely agree with you. There was a lot of value in some aspects of what he did set up because there are legitimately good characters from Penders' stories. They were either never fully given the time to develop only got a short amount of time to develop under Ian Flynn before the um, the big thing happens. The big uh, thing. That, the big thing. It, it sucks, too, because there's a lot of really cool stuff that could have came from it. But Penders had to sue and take it all away from us. And to me, I, I, I really, really dislike like losing some of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But... Uh... This is a conversation for another time. I, yeah, this I, is I, a whole conversation. We got into a, a we've got in a little too deep. Let's reel it in and let's get back to it. Sonic lands on the island a few minutes later. By the way, I, I should also say the the way the mech is powered. Sonic is running on a treadmill with his arms like in gauntlets, controlling the arms of the mech. Very clever. I like it a lot. Actually, he sees the kaiju version of all his friends and hesitantly fights them off one by one to the best of his ability only to find what he thought was the version of himself but actually was the kaiju version of his dad and is attacked so kaiju jewels is attacking the mech sonic is instinctively defending himself pulling back his arm and then he opens his eyes to see the chaos emerald that was we saw was lodged in his dad's chest And he keels over, and Sonic makes the realization that by removing the Chaos Emerald, he killed his dad. So, let's give it up for some great A trauma, baby! Yeah! Yeah, I mean, I I didn't expect some, like, legitimate fucking trauma 
in the Sonic story, but here we are. That dude's like flying away in the mech. He's like screaming, I'm so sorry, while he's flying away. There was one scene, I don't think I wrote it in my notes, but I remember that there was a scene where the kaiju version of Sonic does find yes, like, yes, yes, his, yes, dad's, yes. Dad's, his dad's body and is just holding him in his arms, like crying, screen yeah. crying. It's like, holy shit, they didn't need to do this. They didn't need to pop off like this. What the fuck? Emerald in hand, Sonic flies away. And uh, that's where we see the scene of uh, his version of Sonic come in, uh, screaming over his dad's body. Big Sag, Big Sag. And back in Kentopolis, a parade is held in Sonic's name. Now gaining the power they truly need to fight the kaiju off, he offers to name the first mech after Sonic, but Kentobo realizes he never got his name, and uh, never will because he warped back with Sonic to his own zone. And Sonic, despondent, under severe depression, is getting in Sonic's face screaming at him saying, Why did you make me help a version of Robotnik? Why did I have to kill my own father to restore balance? And Sonic says, Dude, listen, stop. I know how you feel. Like, sincerely, I do. And Sonic says, What the fuck do you know, man? You're just a faceless cop. To which compels Sonic to take off his helmet, revealing his face, looking exactly like Sonic, and says, No, listen. I do understand what you're feeling. And I never told you my name. I'm Zonic the Zone Cop. As he pieces out and flashes away back to his own zone. Which leaves Sonic to wonder. How do you get such a freaky gig? Why do I get the feeling I'll be waiting a while for that answer? And that's the end of Sonic Super Special number 12, baby. Is it bad that I legitimately really enjoy the kaiju story? No. Like, honestly, like, this actually was, like, a legitimately good story. Like, forget the parody aspect of it. There was good pathos, a good payoff. Like, you really don't see that stuff in Sonic comics, sadly. So to have that was not only refreshing, I welcome it. Yep, I welcome it as well. The, The best part about it to me is that clearly there is a very strong attempt at um at, at empathizing with Sonic's character and really making you think about like okay well how did certain like alt versions of him end up like this you know and like i don't know maybe there's some sort of like concurrent timeline thing where every single version of Sonic has to go through like a set predetermined you know events right and like like that's the kind of theorization stuff and like the way that it's written that actually makes you care about the characters and and it makes you care about the main character of the fucking comic mhm it's good it's legitimately good. I genuinely like this story. I definitely think it's one of the best I've read so far. Yep, it's up there. It's really good. Really good. Love it. However, it's time. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's fucking time, baby. We move on to Sonic the Hedgehog number 79, written by Carl Bowlers, art by Fry, and we we are now starting up the Sonic Adventure adaption. Full force. We are just, we begin it. We're not going to get into the story proper. We got to introduce himself. We got to create a floor here. And that's exactly what this comic is about. Without further ado, late at night in Knothole, Nate is trying to hack into Robotnik's network remotely. Sonic's seeing what he's up to, and they both manage to find something. And they rush to King Max. Nate's saying, Robotnik may have discovered the hidden city of the ancients. Max says, what are you talking about? I thought that was just a myth. Nate says, no, I saw it while I was doing my global travels. We have to go warn them about Robotnik. 
and Max fully approves, tells them to get a good night's rest beforehand. And Sonic asks King Max, are you alright man? You seem like a little dejected, removed. And Max says, oh no, I'm, I'm just concerned about Robotnik spreading his influence across the realm. To which Sonic just wonders if King Max is hiding something, to which the answer is yes. I don't know what it is, but like I just know the answer is yes. <laughs> yes? <laughs> the next morning, Sonic's mom and dad wake Sonic up, who tell him that, hey, why didn't you tell us that you had your friends over for breakfast? He goes and uh, sees that Sally decided to call come over so they could leave together for the mission. Amy also comes in saying, listen, I know I'm not really a freedom fighter, but I still want to help you. Like, can I go, please? I want to go. Sonic says, no, you're, you're too young to be part of our missions. Amy says, what do you mean I'm too young? Tails is as old as I am and he gets to go. With Nate saying, well, that's not true. Tails has played his part during missions and he basically was the reason threats like Mammoth, Mogul, and Nagus were defeated. Which, fair enough. I mean, that is completely true. So, my man Tails has earned his stripes. He's a decorated war veteran. He's earned his reason to go. <laughs> Tails has also experienced war, just like Sonic has. <laughs> um, it is important to note that at this point, I'm pretty sure um, a lot of the setup in this comic is obviously related to Amy. You know, she's a centerpiece character on the cover. And she's going to be a part of Sonic Adventure adaptation. I mean, how could you, how could you not? Of right? course. But I think it's at this point, um, I haven't read a lot of the interim comics, but I can definitely tell you that Amy is now a central character in the story as of this, as of this adaptation. As of this exact comic, Amy will now be a focal character of the, the series, 100%. Yeah, which I'll be, I mean, if we're going to have a little diatribe on Amy as a character, I mean, look, I know a lot of people don't like Amy. She's kind of annoying and she's kind of eh, sometimes it it very much depends on the game but I have always had a very soft spot for her. I think that she's a good foil to a lot of the cast and I think that sometimes like her character as a whole is really really cute and she's she's good. She's not like in the realm of Sonic characters, Amy is definitely somebody that I always like to say because they always do because her characterization is never like it's not one note. It's not one note because she was inherently a multi multifaceted character from the to begin with. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I I, I I have always liked Amy in the continuity, so I'm all for having her be a part of the the main cast now, fully and sincerely. So upset with this information. She just storms out. And meanwhile, Elias and King Max are overlooking the Freedom Fighters they're packing to leave, with Elias asking his dad, Hey, why didn't you mention that Mom's condition worsened? I heard about it from the doctor. What? What's going on? With Max saying, Well, look, I didn't want to worry you. I didn't want Sally to worry before she left on her mission. Exact quote, The problem will still be here when she still returns, Elias says. Perhaps or perhaps not, as he runs. Uh, then Elias runs to the Royal Repository, thinking that, I can't believe anyone didn't think of this before, a wish on the Ring of Acorns might help. And as Elias enters the room, he sees a flash of light with Amy inside. Alright, so I'm gonna say this right now. It's pretty obvious that Amy, you know... Is doing a thing. Yeah, she's doing the thing, right? She's 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 making herself, uh, you know, look like her Sonic Adventure design, right? This is actually like an interestingly like convoluted way to just like upgrade their character design. But the problem is when you consider the implications that are happening here. 
So Amy just took the ring of acorns. Hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait. We're getting a little too ahead of ourselves. We gotta, let's reel it in. Okay, we'll okay, we'll re- we will talk about it when we get to the next issue because it's it's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. So, we'll move on to the B story, or rather I should call it the K story for Knuckles, because that's what it is. From now on, all the B stories are going to be about Knuckles and just, let's put a pin in that. We'll get to that when we get to that. Yes. So, yes. of course, uh, uh, written by Ken Penders, uh, art by Butler. So we open actually on the monologue. Straight monologue. Straight, straight essay one opening intro monologue. Straight up uh, from the opening of Sonic Adventure. Knuckles sees chaos absorb the Master Emerald and sees the floating island fall. And he sees the faces of everyone on Echidnaopolis and the Guardians saying, I was unable to deal with the situation. The island is doomed. I, I failed as it plummets into the ocean. Then Knuckles wakes up from a bad dream. There is a panel here that is that is very, very concerning. Why did Ken Penders have to draw Knuckles' feet? <clears throat> Why? <sighs> I don't... Why? Why? Look! You know, Why? the <laughs> worst thing about it that this is not the first time we've seen this happen and will not be the last. Oh yeah, there, there's an. I'm pretty sure there's a there's a there's a Sonic Feet panel as well in this in in this comic later on, right? I, I don't know if it's in this comic. I don't. Uh, I don't not know. in this comic, but it I'm is, saying yeah, like later on. Probably. Yeah, later yeah, on, most likely. But like, I, I, we don't need this. Like, we don't look, need this. Yeah, it's, just... it's 2021. We have you know, hindsight is in fact 2020. 2021. <laughs> however, however, it just upsets me. There's a reason why I block out the well. There's a reason why I block out the the memory of the art because like I don't need this in my life. I I live in pain enough as it is. Knuckles gets up out of bed wondering, oh man, you know why why do I have these bad dreams? Maybe maybe it's just the because of the genetic tinkering my father did with me. A very casual sentence from a very horrible thing that happened to him. So he steps outside to see that the floating island actually is in the ocean, screaming that his dream became reality. Might I add, it's a little weird that the guardian of the floating island does not sleep on the floating island, but whatever, who am I to judge Ken Penders' vision? Uh, As Knuckles rushes to Haven, we then move to see Robotnik, who says that the seven shards from the Master Emerald will be enough to power the greatest living weapon imaginable. And he sees a diagram of what he calls perfect chaos, a being made of water saying that it exists within a black emerald. And as he searches his location, he finds a Robian team to excavate it. And upon finding it, Robotnik just, the man just takes a mallet and whacks on top of it. So, so this is something that, this is one of the first left turns that is taken from um, the adventure uh, game. So obviously Chaos wasn't in a Black Emerald, but I think it's a decent way to cop out um, because Mammoth Mogul, as we discussed, was stored in the Master Emerald. And unlike the games where Chaos was stored in the Master Emerald, it was sort of just like a last ditch effort. So Yeah, I mean, I, I, they wrote themselves into a corner with that, but they weren't expecting it. So I can't really blame them. I don't, I think the Black Emerald. It's a cop out, but I can accept it. Like, what were they supposed to do? Exactly. Upon whacking the top of it with a mallet, the gem cracks and a weak version of chaos starts to leak out, to which Robotnik sees the mural decepting perfect chaos, realizing, oh, I need seven 
power emeralds to give perfect chaos form. And what better place to get them than the floating island? Robotnik flies in with his shadow bots, attacking Echidnaopolis. Surprised that it exists. For that matter, he notes that the data says that the Guardian is the only known Echidna, and yet he sees this whole race of Echidnas defending themselves. And he doesn't care, so he keeps his, he keeps his assault up. Which, uh, again... He's, he's, he's just like, oh, I found more Echidnas. Cool. Fuck it, why not? Yeah, okay. This is, like, the genuine, like, interest or, like, character shift between, like, Robotnik and this robo-Robotnik. Because Snively noted in the past that this Robotnik is much more cruel than uh, the uncle that he knew and despised. So I guess this is just, like, a little bit of character difference. Like, I would, I wonder if, like, the actual Robotnik would have just, like, oh, oh, shit, there are more echidnas here. Maybe I can roboticize them. Let's stop this assault. Capture as many as you can. I need more echidnas. Robo Robotnik's just like, oh, more kidness, fucking kill him. I don't care. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing plans right now. Robotnik finds the uh, room that contains the Master Emerald, and after taking down its energy barrier, blows it to pieces, saying that the seven are all I need, and that causes the floating island to fall. And with the pieces, Robotnik leaves, Master Emerald destroyed, and a strange pattern takes form, only muttering f f free. And that's the end of the K story. And now we'll move on to like the actual backup story that's supposed to be here. Written by Ken Penders, art by Alan. It's the conclusion of the Great War series. Aaron, you're you're somewhat familiar with the storyline that this was going for. Yeah, I read the um, the interim comics and I was reading the Great War stories. I think it's kind of cool how they really went with the whole like, yeah, we're fleshing this the fuck out to the to the ultimate extent. Like, we're really gonna make sure that Robotnik's backstory is properly explained. Chuck has changed his life path. The dude's just running a restaurant, living a normal life. Bernadette on the regular, pleading with him to try anything to fix his brother, and Chuck says, "No, no, no, no. Anything I do now will just make it worse. I swear to you." And walking away, she was in for a rude awakening, walking into the lab to find Julian and Snively using Jules as a lab rat. Enraged, she demands Julian let her husband go, with Julian saying to Jules, Hey, put that thing down that you were holding. Throw your wife into the roboticizer. With Tails saying, Wow, that's that must be like really fucking chilling to see your husband turned against you. With Bernadette saying, look, the nightmare never really ended. Jules then recalls a scene of Chuck giving him a power ring way later on, which restored his free will, saying, I don't really remember feeling any emotions during that point, and at that moment, all my insides and guts were just kicked around. And at that moment, when he regains his sense of self again, he asked, hey, Bernadette isn't like us, right? She's not roboticized, right? Chuck says, well, Bernadette went missing. Every clue gave me a dead end until I found my old lab and I found her roboticized. Julian says she was just messing around with the machine. I, I, I was just even more distraught. And in that moment, Chuck took himself to raise Sonic as basically repentance. But he, for a longest time, wondered, how can I tell Sonic that I'm responsible for what has happened to his parents? And Jules just mentions, oh, you're talking about Sonic. How is he now? How did you, is he okay? And Chuck says, 
the boy is doing great. He's the leader of the resistance against Robotnik. But for now, we need to make a base of operations in the sewers and protect ourselves. And as more Robians walk in, Bernadette is among them, and Jules is just happy that she has her free will. They ask Chuck if Sonic knows about them. He says no, but if you want, I can tell him about you guys. And they say, no, it's probably for the best if Sonic doesn't know about us. So then Elias asks Jules how he's able to remember things while his free will was taken, and says, oh, I barely did. It was Uncle Chuck who took me up to speed here. He recorded a lot of stuff on, on zip drives, but since Chuck was recaptured, I can't decode this last one in my hand, which may answer things left unanswered. That's the end of Sonic number 79. And you know what? I think we got another banger with that one. That was genuinely yeah, really that good. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. That's pretty good. I, es- I think I especially yeah. kind of like the idea that Chuck basically started to raise Sonic mainly because he felt so bad. That's like, oh, wow, this kid is orphaned now and it's my fault. Fuck. He had a bro moment. He was like, oh, my God, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. But And keep in mind, Sonic was like a baby during this time, like maybe like one year old at the most. So it's just like, wow. Like, I don't know. It's weird getting emotional because of these comics. Because the only, the only time I've ever felt emotion are like negative emotions and they make me want to jump off a bridge. But right now, it's it's getting me right here. Right here in the heart, man. I don't... I like it. Ken Penders, I think you did a good job. Good job. Like I said, another banger. And we'll, we'll move on from this to Sonic number 80. Written by Carl Bowlers and art by Fry once again. And... I want to start this off here. We're, this is where I'm going to go into a little bit of the weeds here. This cover for Sonic number 80 was actually reused from the canceled Knuckles number 33. And I'm going to just lay it all out for you guys. So the original plan was that the Knuckles comics were going to be part of the adventure adaption. And obviously got canceled, never went to fruition. So they had to quickly change plans. The original idea was the adventure adaption was going to be four Sonic issues, two Knuckles comics, and one Super Special. And because of the comics, the Knuckles comics getting canceled, they now had to extend it with six Sonic comics and the Super Special. The Knuckles stories being cut in half and inserted into the main issues, and the Sonic stories having to be extended a little bit because of that. And even then, there's still the backup story, which is the story B I've been referring to, which is like... Oh, man. Ken Penders, what did you do? Why did you go this way? Like, I don't know, man. I mean... And that's the thing. Ken Penders still writes a lot of the backup stories, too. Like, the, what, the, the story C, as we're going to be referring to them as. It's like, the man's basically going two for one. Like, he has two-thirds of the billing right now in these comics. And then soon two turns to three and he has full creative control. Yeah, well, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes between Cara Bowlers and uh, Ken Penders. Let's just say for now, the two men did not get along very well. Yeah. We'll open on Amy. Now in her Sonic Adventure design, having wished upon the Ring of Acorns to become older. And she did this specifically because she wanted to join the Freedom Fighters on their mission. And Sonic still says no. But Nate insists, like, no, you know what? This is some weird shit that just happened right now. I was not expecting this at all. 
I, I want her to come along just because I need to keep an eye on her, just in case anything weird happens. So now, Aaron, why don't you go into the uh, the uh, ethical right. implications where this comes into? Okay, okay. So we need to talk about this, right? Amy, she's what? She she ate eight uh, in her original. Six to eight, yeah. Yeah. And now she's, she's fully aged. She's aged to, I believe, 12 years old. She's 12 now, right? Yeah. We need to contemplate the fact that the Ring of Acorns was Elias's backup plan. It was his plan to make sure that his mom survived. Amy has just taken away Elias's chance to make sure that his mom was going to be okay. What? <laughs> And you know what? Like you, Amy didn't know that. Nobody knew that. They can't like fault. He can't fault them for that. He, she just happened to get to it first. But like, oh my god, that's just fucked up. That's fucked up. Morally and ethically, and not only is it like, bro, what the Bruh. fuck? It's also like she lit. She literally took her life away from him. What? Why? I just want to be older, fellas. I, this this is definite. I this is a certified bra moment. I can't say anything more than that. Look, I think that the explanation itself is like, okay, fine. You want to find a way to age up, Amy? Keep her in line with the canon. Fine. Do what you got to do. But taking away Elias's mom's only chance. <laughs> And it's kind of brushed over. Yeah, they just kind of like legit Ellie. Elias is just in the background of just like, oh, well, there goes that option. Okay, I'm just just going to walk away now. It's just like brushed under the rug. And we have to keep on knowing that Amy possibly condemned the queen of her kingdom (laughs) to death. I feel like the queen of not hold to death. I, I don't know. I feel like there should be some some ramifications for this. Like it, I don't know. What do I know? I'm I'm just a, a dude on the internet screaming into a microphone. I don't know political implications. I don't know the justice system of Knothole. I'm just a dude. I am. Just Amy a is dude. executed in cold blood. <laughs> Amy becomes the first political execution under the kingdom of Knothole. Yikes! 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 <laughs> Yikes, bro! Bro, moment. Like I said, Elias just. Says, well, the ring doesn't have any energy left. Okay. All right. And Sally, completely unwitting to what just happened, goes into her mom's cryostasis chamber, says goodbye, and writes, I love you forever onto the chamber. She walks away. Sonic tells his parents goodbye, but he doesn't want to say it. His parents realize that the last time he said goodbye, Knothole was gone. And they bring him in for a hug and say, don't worry, Sonic, we'll be here for you when you get back, whenever that is. And in front of the planes, Nate is telling the Freedom Fighters that the residents of the Hidden City are five-fingered overlanders. And says that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, let's stop for a second and notice, I've mentioned it before, but the reason why overlanders are distinctly called overlanders and not humans is because they have four fingers on their hand and uh there's a reason for this there is a reason later on for this distinction there's a reason why we're being introduced to five-fingered overlanders there are hints going along the way right now 
And yeah. we will get to that. It will be slapped in our face eventually. If you have any thoughts right now, keep them to yourself. Please. I'm I'm going to keep them to myself. I have I have words. Sonic runs in and they all leave. The Freedom Fighters in the special and Sonic and Tails on the Tornado, a new plane built by Tails and Nate powered by his Super Emerald. And Nate radios in to the Tornado a couple hours later says, "All right guys, go past the clouds and seize a dormant volcano island and a plane crashed overgrown by foliage." Nate saying that the theory about this was that during the first days of Fury, from before the Mobians and before the Overlanders on Mobius, this plane was downed and the ancestors are the current residents of the hidden city of that plane crash. So before we go further, I also want to bring this up. The tornado was actually never mentioned or used in these comics until this adaptation, Mm -hmm. which is very strange because, um, I'm pretty sure, well, actually, Sat-AM never had the tornado, right? No, I don't think they did. If they ever flew anywhere, it was on, like, Dulcie's back. Yep, you're right. So, so yeah. this is So, this is the first instance of the tornado, which, always oh, a big fan of that plane. I love me the tornado. So, big fan, big saying. fan. And, you know, big it's fan. a great way to, like, introduce a mainstay of the series into the comics. What better way than just a game adaption? It's quick. It's familiar. No complaints here. They fly into this open crater in the uh, volcano. They land near a minecart and ride down into the City of Ancient, a proper city of skyscrapers inside a volcano. And a seemingly natural day-night system? Seemingly natural atmosphere? What the fuck is this? So I'm going to say this right now. This is genius. It's actually so smart. What better way to explain how the characters essentially transport to Station Square by having it be a city of the ancients? One that is entirely removed from the comic world itself, in Mm. a way. So now you can have the events of Sonic Adventure play out, and you don't really have to think that much about what's going on outside of it, right? Because it's in its own self-contained bubble, in a way. That's very true, because now, like, let's compare this to Sonic X, why don't we? They adapted the events of Sonic Adventure 1 and Adventure 2 in in the show. And right after the events of Sonic Adventure, we see, like, the aftermath, like, in the human world. And they're picking up debris and stuff like that. There's, like, a couple of episodes serve as, like, a transition from Adventure 1 to Adventure 2. And it is very jarring, considering the fact that you have to see the cleanup of the city after the attacks of Perfect Chaos. Spoilers for a 20-year-old game, by the way. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, but you're completely right. Like, you can have all the events of Sonic Adventure play out in this completely removed city, far from Mobius and all the other events going on in the world. And then when we're done here, you know, we're done here. We can move on. Exactly. It's, 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 I would say it's pretty much as, as close to a, 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 like a good way of having the story transition as you can get. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's a really, really smart idea. I think that there is, well, I haven't read that far ahead, but like, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get into it a little later. We'll get into it a little later. We will. We will. So story B, Ken Pender's writing, Butler doing the art. 
Knuckles goes to Haven and with the other Guardians sees Robotnik's attack on Echidnaopolis and see the video of Robotnik flying toward the mainland. And since the Shattered Master Emerald Piecers flew there, the mysterious cat country, Knuckles points the finger to Locke, saying, This all could have been avoided if we helped Sally fight Robotnik, but Thunderhawk just exists. No, we were in the right. We did what we needed to do. We could not have... No, don't talk to us like this, Knuckles. As he storms out to find the Chaotix, who are investigating the former Chaos Emerald Crater, they hear Espio scream, who they see on the, the beach, being arrested by residents of the cat country, their new neighbors. That's where that story ends. And very quickly, th- th- this is like two pages, maybe three. Backup story by Ken He's Penders. here! Our He's man. here! Our, Our boy! <laughs> Written by Ken Penders, art by Valentino. We open on our man, Big the Cat. Big the Cat! <laughs> so, Big has, I mean, look, Big's, Big's place in the fandom has always been one of... Irony? Irony mixed perception. But if there's something great that these comics have always done, it's big. Big is a character that you can do a lot of great comedy with. Mm -hmm. And I think that it translates way better in the comics than it does in the games. Absolutely. Absolutely. Big's presence in the comic, ironically, I I don't really think it matters who the writer is. It's always done well. Mm -hmm. Like, Always. I've never had a problem with Big in these comics. I think Big's great. So I love him. I love the big guy. Let's let's let's, let's get into let's it. Go. <laughs> so our man Big the Cat, he's asleep. And uh, his friend Froggy, who's startled awake, wondering that, oh, Big is just able to sleep through fucking anything, huh? Small rocks fall onto Big as he jumps out the way and moves towards a moving puddle. He drinks from it and ends up growing a tail. Big wakes up wondering if Froggy's alright, and they see a robot, red, number 102 embroidered onto it, grabs Froggy. Big run towards the robot, punches him, not very effective, and is pushed down. And Big, our man determined with his trusty fishing rod, goes to get his friend back. That's the end of Sonic number 80. We see. We also see Best Boy Gamma mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. You know, making his first comic appearance. Very happy that Gamma's here. Love to know? see it. You love to love see to it. Love to see it. And uh, very fast, we'll move on to Sonic eighty one. Of course, uh, Carl Bowler's Fry usual team. And so here's a little fun fact for you. You know, I said all these comics were printed in 1999 so far. This is the first comic printed in the year 2000. The Y2K bug has been averted. We are in a new era, period. We have one month and nine years until the world is completely and totally changed forever. So Amy, staring at her reflection, is just gawking at her new appearance. And this is like six panels of the same art repeated over and over. The only difference is Amy's side angles changing. This is not the first time this has happened, by the way. Like, there was a Knuckles comic where it legit was just like Locke talking to some other guardian in the library. But it was like legit the same art printed over and over six panels with different dialogue. Like, I'm still stuck on that. It's amazing. Yeah, the reuse of art in this comic, um, especially around this time, it starts to get pretty bad. 
So the freedom fighters are being gawked at by the humans living in the city and are immediately surrounded by SWAT teams. Fuck 12. Dude, wait, hold on. Jughead's in this comic. Ah, I see. Yeah, he's he's in the the like the the the, the double page like like uh crawl and he's like he's on the right page and he's like in the bottom right, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's not a surprise. Yeah, he's just chilling, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, they love to sneak in cameos for these crowd shots. Yes, they do. Which leads me to to suggest that the world of Archie actually is in Mobius. E- excellent move. Love it. So one of the riot cops recognizes Nate and tells everyone, hey, hold on, stand down. We got one of our boys here. And Nate tells them, listen, we're here to warn you guys. There's an immediate threat. We need to see the mayor. But they say, all right, like, We'll get you to talk to him, but, you know, I can imagine it's been a long flight. Let's check you into the hotel. You know, let's get you some good night's sleep here. They check into the local Station Square Hotel to rest for the night. Again, being gawked at because they've never seen Mobians before. And, yes, the city does have an artificial atmosphere system, according to Nate. They then meet the mayor the next day, who takes them on a tour of the city on the rail system. In the distance, they see Casinoopolis... The mayor mentions the Mystic Ruins and Emerald Coast as popular destination spots. It makes me so happy that that they actually stuck to the in-canon locations of everything, you know? Love you, Carl Boros, for it. You're doing yes. the bare minimum here. <laughs> like, I, I shouldn't be so cynical because, like, this is kind of like, this is good and it's refreshing, but, like, Let's look at this for what it is. This is a video game comic. Like, this is what we should be expecting. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And that's why when it's like, oh, shit, it's actually the video game. I'm like, oh, I'm getting into it. I'm like, okay, I'm here. All right. We're here for it. So so after showing them this, he's willing to just, like, let them go free, explore on your own. And Amy happily does so, saying, well, I'm not old enough to meet a babysitter anymore, and goes right to the mall. And Tails uh, uses his free time to fly the tornado over the uh, city and is doing little air drawings for the people on the ground. Sonic is just zipping around, living his best life, and at uh, one point playing guitar for the women at the hotel by the poolside. Little, little, little sus, but, you know... Just a little little sus, I I write them as the progenitors of Elise as I see it in my notes. (laughs) The progenitors... I also I, I wanna actually let's let's finish this issue out before I, I really talk about this because I think this is another really cool thing this, that this adaptation does. Right. So Sally meets with the mayor saying oh, he says since the beginning, Station Square is self sufficient. We've had no reason to be in contact with the outside world. I'm not even I've never even heard of the fact that you had overlanders, which are genetic human offshoots. Like it was a genetic fork. From the humans the Overlanders are. Regardless, I'm still willing to make diplomatic relations with the Kingdom of Acorn. And that's where the story ends. So the Knuckles story by Ken Penders and Butler. Robotnik is feeding the the Chaos Emerald shards to Chaos. But he didn't take shape. Realizing that some regular rocks probably got mixed in with the sample batch. And sends out the E-series droids to find more shards along with one item I overlooked in haste. And Knuckles, flying over ruins, starts to find shards of the Master Emerald, as if, you know, it's something he's just naturally drawn to. As the Chaotix are being taken to the mainland of Cat Country, their leader says to just wade ashore, and brings them outside their temple, 
They go in saying to their leader, if they come to attack us, then make an example out of them. We'll leave it at that. To our official backup story, Amy's walking out of the mall and she gets hit on the head by a flicky that was shot down. It's alive. And Amy sees that the robot that targeted it, it approaches her and takes a defensive stance with a mallet in her hand appearing miraculously. <sighs> Again, a- another interesting way of like explaining this weird hammer space power that she has. It's Im- I don't think it's ever like even implied, but I think we can infer that this is also because of the Ring of Acorns. Yeah, pretty much. Which again, you know, not bad. So Amy swats it away. It poofs away. Two more robots popped in and fly away with Amy in their arms. And as the bird that she just saved flies to follow her. That's the end of number 81, boys. I just also want to point this out. Now, if you look at every single main Sonic Adventure character right now, mm-hmm. in the current state of where they are in the comics, they are all at the start of their stories. Sonic is at the poolside at Station Square's hotel. Tails is flying the tornado. Knuckles is searching for the emerald pieces. Amy was shopping and she encountered um, the Flicky. Gamma's on the ship getting ready to go. Big's out searching for Froggy. All of the stories are, are, are literally the, the main plot of Sonic Adventure has been set up. Yeah. And, what's, and the best part, the comic characters are off doing their own thing. It, it feels like it all feels natural is what it is. Like it doesn't feel like a forced ham-fisted like, oh, we got to do the adaption because, you know, it's the big release, blah, 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 blah. No, like they did the adaption because they wanted to like help promote the game, obviously. I'm pretty sure Sega told them to do it. Wouldn't be surprised there. But it was done in such like a seamless way. It's masterful. I get it is. It's it masterful. Is. It's, fant- it's fantastic. They really thought about how they were going to implement every element of the 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 new canon, so to speak, mm-hmm. into the comics, and then they wanted to make sure that tr- the transition from the comic stuff into the game tie-in stuff was very seamless. And they knew they were going to have to adapt the stories of the game, so they made it the best they could. And you know what? The perfect floor was created. We now. From the perspective of just a reader, we now fully understand, okay, I know exactly where this is going on account of the fact that I've played the game. I, I'm fully 100% prepared to hit the ground running. And the next issue, oh boy. The I'm, next issue. I'm, I'm okay. So, side note, let's talk about Sonic Adventure for a second and how great Sonic Adventure is. Because, of course. Ayo, fuck people who think Sonic Adventure is a bad game. Mm-mm. You know what? Yeah, it's jank. Yeah, it's of its era. Yeah, it's a little buggy. Who fucking cares? Game's still fun. Still has a lot of charm and a lot of soul. And you can tell Sonic Team tried their fucking hardest. And they and, they did... I'm not even going to say they did their best. They did do their best. And they succeeded. Genuinely. Agreed. I, I agree. I you think know what, that... Man? Like, like, this is going to be like a very weird argument. Like, we're trudging up some 90s stuff. But like, shit, like Super Mario 64, the original on the N64, like... I, I think in my mind, like, these are, like, completely comparable games, 64 and Adventure, because they're both buggy, they're both of their time, they both have their weird quirks, and Mario 64 is just more beloved just because Mario has just become the more iconic character, but well, it doesn't, mm, I, in I would, some respects. I would, 
In well, some in respect. some respects, I, I mean, to me, Mario 64 is like a game that is fundamentally important to the progression of video games because it solidified 3D movement in an open space. Absolutely. And and it was also very well designed. Yeah. Sonic Adventure is a lot more experimental with what it wants to go for. And I believe, and personally, I believe it succeeds in a lot of aspects. Obviously, in some aspects, it clearly does not. But that doesn't mean that the efforts of the development team and what they tried to attempt should be disregarded as bad or not good. Mm-hmm. Is it flawed? Yes, it's very flawed. It's a very flawed game. But SA1, in its own right, is a very f- impressive first outing. Absolutely. And-, and you know what? They did it. It was a fantastic game. It's still beloved even to this day. And that's why this issue in particular makes me so happy. Yeah, and they're really giving the story the respect it deserves. I gotta give yes, a prop. Yes, they are. They aren't trying to, like, fuck the the story by putting in the inane comic nonsense into it. They're they're letting it be its own thing while sprinkling in bits and pieces of the, the greater comic lore. Which, if you ask me, I think that's the best thing. Absolutely. Like, this masterful all around you love it i love this i'm so happy about it and now we'll move on to the final issue of this episode sonic number 82 and as we said before the floor has been created so now it's truly the time to hit the ground running and who better to hit the ground running than our man sonic the hedgehog on the night out in station square the man's just raving around like, oh, man, this city is so cool. It's nothing like Knothole. This is so great. So much fun. And then he sees some cop cars, decides to follow them, finds this water monster, then saying uh, the weapons are useless. And yes, by the way, the dialogue, is, the dialogue uh, in this scene is word for word from the game. And yes. normally some people would argue, oh, that's just so lazy. Why didn't they do something different? No. No. It, it, it's if they good. do anything else, I would have... Mm, I would have... Obviously, there are some liberties taken here and there. You know, there's no, oh, yeah, this is happening. You know, yeah, sucks because, oh, yeah, this is happening. It's still... that It's iconic. Mwah, it's, it's iconic, iconic. right? So, but, but, but Sonic, you know, going, oh, yeah, this could be fun and shit like that and being like, what's up? You know, it's like... And, and the lines from the police being one-to-one, it's, it's so good because it's just such... It's, it's paying service to the game in the right way. Mm-hmm. Like, even when this came out, like, you hear that dialogue and you're like, how else could you describe the scene? Like, it would feel, like, wrong not to, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Sonic jumps down the building to fight the water monster and, of reminiscent of the game, jumps up the pole. Sonic's knocking it down. And this water monster slips down into a drain, and the cops congratulating Sonic for taking it down. As Robotnik, up on another building, looks down and says, You know nothing, fool. That's Chaos, Chaos, the god of destruction. destruction. And then he does the Dean Bristow laugh that you can just hear in the back of your head. Side note, Sonic also says, Come on, you big drip, where you going? Which, you know, come on. That's so good. As as a as a essential one to one recreation of the opening of Sonic story. I mean, I I can't complain. No, I I will never complain. This is just like, uh, you know what this is? It's refreshing. We've it is we've gone it's so refreshing. We have gone through so many comics of just sort of like we're going through so much Ken Penders nonsense, even like Carl Bowler's nonsense to extent that it is. It's just sort of like, wow, I, I sometimes have legitimately forgotten that this is 
about a video game character, Sonic the Hedgehog. And now we're drawn back into reality of like, yep, it's time for the video games, boys. It's just like, oh, wow, this is like the mental break I didn't know I needed. I, I'm I'm crying a tear of joy right now, brother. And I'm it's crying. and it's really really interesting too because the next section we're going to talk about arguably does something better than the games. Ooh, that's neat. I, I that's, it's a bit of right. a bit of a hot take, but right, I actually well, think this next section is kind of cool. Without further ado, the Knuckles story, uh, written by Penders Art by Butler. So our man Knuckles says he found some kind of weapon in the ruins. But he gets hit with like a little gnat of light and says he starts to feel woozy. And then he starts to hear the voice of Tikal, who we see her design and she actually has like a radically different design from her game. Yeah, looks- this is the one thing that I don't understand why Penders did. Like, Tikal's design is 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 rock solid. I don't understand why you would ever change I- it, but... I don't. I think that was like Ken Penders trying to like maintain consistency with his own lore, which is a very Ken Penders thing to do. But you know what? I think this is just the one like blot of ink over all this. I can forgive this in a, in a weird way, which is not something maybe a purist would forgive. But you know what? I'm rolling with the punches as I see him right now. Yeah, pretty much. She tells her story. After the Echidnas left Albion, they settled in mysterious cat country. And the warriors of the Echidnas, the Knuckles clan, they stood their ground. They fought, but the scientist clan wanted no bloodshed. They left to find somewhere else to live, but the Knuckles clan stayed. They then found the mystic ruins, complete with an altar and creatures called Chow. The scouts told her father, Pachacomic, the enemies from the cat colony were about to attack. Tikal stayed behind and communicated with the Chow and met the water creature, who didn't communicate directly, but he sensed no hostility from her. The echidnas were badly injured from the fight, saying that the seven emeralds on the altar would probably help them. Tikal, however, refused, saying, These emeralds belong to the Chow. You can't do this. Pachacomic ignores this, charges with his men, which leads to the water quickly engulfing these echidnas. And according to Tikal, Chaos went berserk, and it took a long while, but she eventually imprisoned him within the Black Emerald. So, a little divergence from the story we're familiar with from Sonic Adventure, but you know what? I, it's, an, it, there is, there is, there is an improvement in certain aspects. So, obviously, they're trying to tie it back into the main comic lore, talking about, you know, the separation of the scientists and the warriors, Right. No, I was just going to say, like, I think that was a very smart move. Right, because you're inherently doing the same thing as the creation of Station Square, where you're splitting the two so they can exist in their own separate entities. Mm-hmm. Tikal's story is generally very samey from um, Sonic Adventure, but I think that the little things, like the warrior cats essentially being the rival clans that were offhandedly mentioned in SA1 as being the core threat... And, you know, the urgency in using the emeralds to defeat the rival clans and stuff like that, right? I think that stuff is, it, it, it improves upon the story because it gives more depth. The Echidna stuff in SA1 was always some of the most interesting stuff to me, even now, because it's still kind of vague, like, what exactly was the cause of the fighting and why it was happening. But it made sense in the context of, oh, this is totally reasonable why this is happening and why chaos went berserk, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, 
If there is one thing that I'm not a fan of, I don't like that it's all exposition dumped to us right now. Part of the cool aspect of Sonic Adventure and the stuff with Takal and, and, and learning about Chaos's backstory is that you learned about it gradually through all of the stories. And then eventually in the final story, you see what happens where the only reason Chaos went berserk was because the Echidnas, in their blind rage and ignorance, tried to attack it and steal the emeralds, right? Which, it's all very true. However, even if they tried to adapt it one-to-one, I don't think it would have flown well narratively for a comic. I agree with you that it's a little... It doesn't sit well with me that this is just an exposition dump, even though this is, you know, like, uh, Ken Pender's classic. However, narratively speaking, from a comic perspective, I don't think getting bits and pieces in the same way that the game gave us would have been palpable. Like, if it was the exact same way, we would basically have the same thing of, like, one of the characters gets hit in the head with the call's uh, light. They see a vision that lasts, like, a page, and they go, oh, that was weird, and then they go about their time. It just, narratively, it doesn't flow very well, and it might be a little difficult for the reader to, like, remember everything as they go. I can understand that. I don't fully agree with it. I think that they could have made it um, flow and work, but I think for the sake of the comic, they definitely could have done that. Or, at least to me, they could have, I don't know, I feel like you could have cut off some of the stuff at the end, talking about um, why Chaos went berserk, and then leave it towards the end, so that when you eventually lead into the perfect Chaos fight, it has a little bit more emotional impact. But that's not neither, neither here nor there. Like like you said, I agree. I think that this is very good. I think this is actually done better than the games, in terms of, um, in terms of the narrative and uh, overall, like, uh, progression. So... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain. I mean, hey man, it's good. It's good. You love to see <laughs> it's it. It's good. You love yeah. to see it. Meanwhile, the E series of robots brought back several frogs to Robotnik's flying ship, with the 102 unit bringing back the right frog with Chaos's tail, and Robotnik transferred the tail over, completing Chaos's form. And then the Chaotix we see them placed in front of the cat leader. Vector low-key threatening them to be let go, with the leader saying, like, cool it, we eat our young if they get upset here. With Julie Sue saying, like, <laughs> wait, you're, you're joking, right? That's a joke, right? Like, you're, this is a joke, right? This is a yo- uh, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, well, well, all the good characters are here, we're having- Oh, there's Locke, alright, well, Kenders Locke- is back on his- <laughs> Kenders back on his bullshit. Legit back on his bullshit. Locke steps in saying to the cat leader- the Knuckles clan is prepared to refight the war your kind started years ago. What uh, the what is it with Ken riding these echidnas going like your kind? That that's a little racist, buddy! What the fuck man? Your kind? <laughs> really? Ken Ken is just listen, he's an echidna supremacist, alright? It's it's just in his blood. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I look, I, I think we've done enough bitching. I I yeah, wanna well, move on to to to, to Gamma's story which is next because holy shit they did a great job with this and we will do that on the next episode of the archie sonic digest we'll cut it off here this was a little bit of a super episode usually goes over my cut time but you know what the conversations we'd had here today beautiful masterful could not expect anything less and you know what we we got i gotta like leave you a little something hanging i gotta draw you in for the next episode somehow You want to find out what happens with Gamma's story? You want to know how they did it? Well, we'll get to that on the next episode of the Archie Sonic Digest. Yeah, um, Speed, thanks for having me again. Uh, Hopefully I get uh, called in to uh, 
continue the SA1 adaptation because uh, I'm really surprised with how good it is. And, yes, just we've set all our pieces. I feel refreshed. I feel energized. I feel like I feel like hope has returned to my life once more. Thank Am I going to go ruin that by playing League of Legends? Live your life, man. You cannot <laughs> you cannot shatter my good time right now. I have I I am like a couple steps away from reaching an emotional nirvana. <laughs> well, I'm glad you feel that way. I'm I'm feeling pretty good myself. So, thank you for watching. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciated it. And as usual, you can find the links to all of our stuff below the YouTube description. If you're listening on uh, Spotify, you don't forget to subscribe, all the good stuff. And yes, we will see you the next time on the Archie Sonic Digest. Thanks for watching, guys. Peace.